Thank you, choir. I'll tell you the truth about it. If anybody couldn't preach behind that, it's not a preacher. Now let's see if we got a preacher. <laughs> it is good to see you today. May the Lord bless you real good. I know he already has in this worship experience today. And uh, he's good, he's here, and he's always here. As TJ was talking to the children this morning, that God never changes. He's with us always. And so I, I think we can depend on that. Thinking about a wedding, I want you to think about your personal wedding, your private wedding. Go back many, 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 many years ago, many, 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 many more, and think about your wedding. Think about your courtship and think about uh, how you met each other. And uh, then when the day was popped at... Uh, you were going to get married, or at least you asked, uh, as a man, asked that woman to marry you. Or maybe she asked you, and, or maybe you just mutually decided together, we need to get married. Think about all of that excitement. Wasn't there real, real excitement in the air? And you go back, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I made a mistake. But, you know, if we did... Uh, God helps us to work that out too, doesn't he? And I've known couples that said, you know, at the beginning, we didn't know what we were doing at all, and we felt like we did make a big mistake, and on down the way they decided, you know, we don't think we can handle this any longer. But yet they were willing to stop and, and listen to some uh, people talking to them, sharing with them, and giving them them good advice and going to God and God giving them help in that marriage. And that marriage began to start mending and growing. And today you talk with those same people and they would say to you, you know, God is everything. And if you allow him in your life, even though the start of it may have been rocky, the ending of it can be glorious and wonderful and exciting. So those of you who are married or are thinking about getting married, I think perhaps this sermon can be uh, encouragement to you. I want to preach basically an encouraging message, a supporting message. Uh, and not only that, but I want it to somehow challenge you today as we are able to look together. We're going to be comparing the earthly marriage and wedding to the heavenly wedding that we're about uh, to be a part of. So if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be using Ephesians 5, verse 22 following, and then Revelation chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at those verses together. Now, I, I would... And I don't want to do discredit because I think that the Word of God should always be read before you speak upon them. So if you don't mind, I'm not going to read all of the uh, verses because I will come back and refer and talk with you about those just a second. I want rather to use Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to think about this just a moment. Paul's talking about the earthly Marriage. He's talking about the earthly husband-wife relationship. 
And then we move to Revelation, and he is dealing with the spiritual relationship. I also think that Paul is talking about in Ephesians how that that physical, personal relationship of husband and wife here will relate to the Christian relationship and how important that is in our Christian life. So I want to read beginning with verse 22 of the book of Ephesians chapter 5. He starts off by saying, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now listen to this very carefully because sometimes uh, wives will misunderstand and husbands will misunderstand and they're thinking that this is some dogmatic dogma and are some dogmatic uh, thoughts from the Apostle Paul. But if you will allow it to speak to you spiritually as a child of God and being in the family of God, being a part of who God is, and Jesus being that one that you and I, the church, is married to. So he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He, ought, uh, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and so let his wife see that she respects her husband in the Lord as we're talking about. Now let me back back up again and ask a very simple question today. You don't have to lift your hand and say I or whatever. If you do, that's fine as well. How many of you have ever ever been to a wedding you would say of course we have and we've been to weddings many times after our own if you've been married yourself doesn't it always excite you every time you get excited I don't care whose wedding it is most of the time as that wedding is taking place you're looking with google eyes you're watching and then when the pastor and the groom stands, comes out with all the attendants that are around, everyone's eyes now is waiting, and the music changes. 
There's a music just for the bride to make her way down the aisle, that bridal march. And so everyone is turning from uh, looking, you know, just watching. They turn around where they're seated and they look toward uh, the front of the church where that bride is going to march in. And perhaps they stand, perhaps the mother of the bride stands and instructed all, instructing all the others to stand as you watch them coming down the aisle. What a joy. Good night. It's exciting. And I always get excited. I watch the groom and tears may start twiddling down his face. And if I'm not careful, there'll be some tears that'll start running down my face as I'm watching as that bride dressed in her very best as she comes down the aisle. She's dressed as all these others that are here. They're dressed for the occasion. There's a protocol for them and they're dressed for that. They have practiced. They've gotten excited They've gotten thrilled. Everyone is excited now. Everyone in this marriage uh, partnership, the part that is going on, there's a marriage that's going to happen in just a few seconds. The real thing is going to take place. I believe that we can also have the same excitement, the same joy, the same relationship with God Because you see, the Bible says, and I'll read these in a few moments in the book of Revelation, that there is coming a marriage and that you and I as the church are going to be a part of that. Now let's back back up and look at the marriage ceremony itself. If we're going to have a wedding, a a secular wedding, we're going to have to have someone in that wedding to have a wedding, aren't we? Well, I know we have the party that's up here. We have the preacher. We have all those things, and and, uh, that's part of it. We have a congregation of people who've come in to be a part of that wedding. But let me ask you something. What if there were no bride? Could you have that wedding? No, you would be in vain, wouldn't you? You'd be sitting here in vain. I would have come out and stood here waiting in vain because no bride is going to come down the aisle. No bride is coming in because there is no bride. So if you're going to have a wedding, we're going to have a wedding. A bride is needed and the bride is chosen. In the old days, in the Jewish tradition, and I'm sure that many of you have studied the Jewish tradition of weddings and Uh, the celebrations that go all around. I'm not going to pull all of those out of the hat today, but I want to pull out some that I think that are very important as we look at those as they compare to you and the church because, you see, Jesus understood those customs, and he came using those customs, and they were able to use those because he knew that his people could understand those customs. Paul built on those because he knew that you and I would understand those customs as well. So a bride is chosen. Notice what I said. A bride was chosen. If we have a bride and she's needed, she would be chosen. 
John 15 and 16 says that you did not choose me, but I chose you. So in the ancient times, the brides were chosen. She didn't go out looking for someone, but a bride was chosen by a young man's family, a young man's family, a dad primarily. And that family would, uh, would go out. Even they, either they would make deals, even while this girl was young or whatever, and uh, they would make deals and saying, we want her to be uh, our daughter-in-law. We have a son that we want her married to. And so therefore, this is what Jesus came. He came seeking to save whosoever will, and he chose you. In that process. So as they were chosen, Jesus has chosen us. Many times a servant was sent out. You remember when Abraham was sending out for a bride for Isaac. You remember, and Rebecca had to say, yes, in fact, that would be your next point. And I'm jumping ahead at that point. Is, is that if a bride was chosen... The only way that, that she could be consummated or, or could become that bride or be married to that man, she had to say also that I would be willing to become a part of that family. I would be willing. But before that, a price was paid. You see, the, the father would come on the scene. And he'd have all the money or cattle or, or what all that he had, and he'd come, and as I suggested a moment ago, that deal would be made. He would purchase that young lady. What have you, the church, the bride of Christ, been purchased by? You've been purchased by the Lamb of God. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He's already purchased you. He's made all provisions for us. And that's the way the dad, he would be making all provisions for that young bride to become part of the family. In fact, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, tells us that we've been redeemed by the corruptible things, but the precious, by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 7, 23 says, we've been bought with a price. We're his. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says that now you've been bought with a price and you are now gladly to give your life and that you become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ. So a price has been paid. Then there is a proposal. There is a proposal to this young lady. And whenever this proposal is made, it is considered in our language, and I'll not go back in the Greek language, but there were words that meant engagement like it did in our day. And it was a covenant. It was a covenant, a promise that would be given to her a type of commitment that this young man would be asking for, that the family, the dad, would be asking for. 
And so it was services that she would render or services that he would give also. And these were sealed. And many times they were sealed in this covenant, uh, maybe even with a blood mark as well. As they came together, she understood the promises that she was making or relating back to. She understood that what she was saying was binding. She understood that, that that would become important because she would be bound for the rest of her life. You know what? That covenant had that written out. You and I have the new covenant of God that is written out, okay? He has paid the price. He has called us. He has come with us and to us with a covenant relationship. And we read, and we may not understand it all, but we read it, and we understand what he is saying to us. And by the preciousness of the Holy Spirit of God, it is interpreted to us. But that relationship has not ended at that point. And in fact, it's not really started yet. It's just a part of the process that was taking place. Because you see, Jesus has already died over 2,000 years ago. He's given us the covenant relationship in his word. He has provided us with the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean that each of us are automatically part of the family of God. Because you see, in the fourth thing that the bride has to do, she has to say yes. She has to say yes. She makes a question, or, or she answers that question. Sure, I will accept him. Sure, I will accept this family. And so therefore, you and I say that as well. Sure, I will accept Jesus into my heart. I will be part of the family of God. I will accept what your word, your covenant relationship lays upon me. Now think about this just a moment. I started off today by saying that sometimes we misunderstand what Paul was talking about in the book of Ephesians. We want to take the word of God sometimes and we want to beat women over the head. We want to beat men over the head and we want to just beat each other up over the relationships that are mentioned there. And we fail to realize in the physical sense. Then we fail to realize that Paul is, is relating that to a spiritual covenant and relationship that we have. So husband and wives, and he's insinuating, okay, here that husbands and wives are believers, okay, He's not talking about the world at this point. He's talking about husband and wife relationship. And he's comparing them to the church. And he's saying that they are to live that way. The wife submitting to the husband. The husband loving the wife. And they embracing each other. They are com uh, completers of each other. And they are showing forth a relationship that God has for all of us. I wonder how our spiritual relationships that we have with God 
is being affected with our physical and our physical being affected with our spiritual today. Does our marriages say to the community, Jesus died for me. Jesus gave me eternal life and I have committed to him through the new birth. And my life, I want to live for him even though Each day, and we'll see this in just a a second, I have a hard time sometimes keeping all the commitments that, and, and by the way, he's not saying you have to keep this, 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 and check these off to see whether you are going to be a saved person. Because that stopped here. That that started here in that marriage. And and when you see uh, this in a second to get together, that started there. And that relationship proving and showing I'm a part of God's family. You and your life together as you show. And it is a marriage relationship show together. So the wife has to say, the bride has to say, yes, she has to make a choice. Yes, I will. And then the covenant was sealed. The covenant was sealed. That covenant was accepted, and they would pour a glass of wine. And if she drank that glass of wine, it was signifying that she was saying, I will accept this covenant. And it was sealing that. Now listen, what did Jesus do with the church before he left to go back to heaven? What did he do? He gave us the Lord's Supper. He instituted the Lord's Supper in the book of Luke 22 and 20. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And then in Matthew 26, 29, he says, I will not drink of this cup of the fruit of the vine until I will drink it anew with you in the Father's kingdom. What is he saying? He's suggesting now there is a duration of that husband and wife relationship and there is a relationship that has been sealed together, taken very seriously. This is the reason that I think that when we get married, we should be sure of who we're marrying and not just marry out of uh, just, you know, just other ideas and ways and things. But we should be marrying out of the will of God. And that's why the Bible says that we should not be marrying and be unequally yoked up together. There's where a lot of our problems is. Because it's hard. It's hard. And if we're not careful, that one who is out of the call of God will pull the one who is. And that's sad, isn't it? But anyway, the covenant is sealed at that point. Now she's going to drink that wine again at the Great Supper, okay? We'll see that before I conclude today. Now, something else happens. Gifts were given to the bride. And, uh, of course, during these days, the, the father would bring that or someone else would bring or the groom himself would bring something. Kind of like, listen, kind of like you all giving a... 
bridal shower to young men, and it's getting where you invite the, the man and the woman. I think I said to young men, but to the women and the, the men. We, we're living in a society that's changing, and so we have both there a lot of times. But you understand what I'm saying? The basic thing is gifts were given at that point, not only of excitement, but there was a sign of a commitment, a gift, a perhaps many times very expensive given, gifts. And it could be as much as a ring, and we do that today. And this was something that was going to last until the day that she was to get married. Now, if she said no without drinking of that wine, the marriage would not go on any longer. Or she would not receive the gifts. But listen, she did. She received that. Now what did you receive? What did you receive when you received Christ? The proposal that he was making to you. You becoming the bride of Christ. First of all, you got the seal of the Holy Spirit of God in you. That doesn't leave. It doesn't go away. It stays with you. First of all, you receive forgiveness as a gift. You received eternal life as a gift. You received the fruits of the Spirit of God as a gift. You received the gifts of the Spirit of God as well as gifts, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of those things God gave to you as gifts while you're waiting here for that final day within Him in heaven. Then there was the perfection of the bride. Through those days, there was a washing, a thorough washing, more of a immersion like we baptize, but yet a cleansing, a preparation. She was becoming prepared, a perfection. And what she was doing also during that time was putting on a lot of Wonderful, good aroma of smelling good perfumes and, and body lotions and all the other things, preparing herself because, listen, she doesn't know the hour that he's going to come to her house. Then the groom goes home. He goes home in John 14, 2. The Bible tells us there that Jesus said to his disciples, that after this I'm going back to, to heaven and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I prepare a place for you, I will come, and with Beaver translation, when it's finished, I will come back to receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. So now that he is gone, this bride has to remain faithful. She cannot begin to get Google eyes for other grooms or any other person because during this tradition everyone knew what was taking place but yet she was faithful in her watching spiritually alert and waiting for his patiently coming first peter chapter 4 verse 7 says the end is near and we're to be ready for his coming be alert for his coming yet second peter 3 uh, 2 uh, 3 3 says that scoffers will come and say that that's not true don't believe it he's forgotten you anyway 
I mean, this is, there's nothing to it. Maybe the bride would hear some of those things and she would say, oh no, he's coming. I have made my selection. I have the gifts before me. I have been sealed and I'm waiting. And she's waiting and she has others. And you have those in the Bible talks that are talking about the miracles. And then you hear others talking about those uh, bridegrooms or the, the, the People who are with her come and uh, the virgins. And you remember the story about the ten and five were wise, five were foolish, and five stayed alert. They stayed alert to help the bride alert. And she was keeping herself pure, waiting for that day. She was keeping that bridal cloak, her gown, as white as snow. She did not want it. Uh, anything wrong with it because it was pressed out. She was ready at any moment of time of day, but she knew most of the time it was at night. It was at the midnight hour, and she was waiting and watching for him to come. The Bible says that he would come as a thief in the night, a thief in the night. First Thessalonians 4, you see that. We read that a lot at the at the funerals where the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we that are alive remain shall be caught up in the air to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an the eye. Then there is that home going. There's that home going. And on this home going, on this night, the dad of the bridegroom says, son, you know, the house is finished. He had gone back home. He'd built a little room on the dad's house. Maybe dad had helped as well. He'd made a place where they, they could spend their honeymoon. And so on a particular night, dad said, it's time. Go, son. The, groom, the bridegroom doesn't know. She doesn't have any, even any idea that it'll be tonight. But she hears a loud voice out in the, out in the streets of the city. A shofar is being blown. And when she hears that and she knows her bride is out there, they're shouting. And the people with them are shouting. And she comes running out of the house. And they catch each other out in the streets. They make their way back to the dad's house. And when they get there for the next seven days, they go into this room. And this is where they consummate this wedding. Oh, what a time they're having those seven days. Think about it. Think of your wedding. I want to carry you back to your honeymoon. How was it? Oh, what a joy of you getting excited and thrilled as you consummated that wedding. And, of course, they did for seven days, signifying uh, that on earth there is the seven years of tribulation going on. Terrible time. But this is going on in heaven, a joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. After seven days, they come out of that room and they come out with great joy. People are excited on the outside. And the room is, is just excited and I want to read uh, what he says then in the book of Revelation that I told you that I would read. 
Revelation 19, 6-9 says, And I heard as it were the voice of the great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of many uh, mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready, and to hear and to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean, bright, for the bright linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, See that you do not that. I'm your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then the last verse in uh, Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And then if you would go back, you don't have this uh, on the bulletin, but if you go back to verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates, into the city. Praise the Lord. God has opened the, opened the gates and the marriage supper of the Lamb is going on. If it would happen right now, would we be ready? Would we be ready if he said today, son, go get the church? There's no chance. There's no more time to make it right. I wonder where we stand this morning in our lives today as we wait for the marriage supper of the Lamb and hear the trump of God and Jesus coming for his bride while we stand and we sing this morning. Hymn 545. 